All right. So we're going to be heading into the message here, and uh, I want to just kind of preemptively prepare this video because it's something that I can certainly relate to. Many of you can either relate to or have related to it in the past. Check it out. I'm excited to see you too. Okay, bye. I forgot. My parents are coming tomorrow. The in-laws are coming? We just need to appear like we're responsible. There's only four of us. Why do we have so many plates? Don't you throw anything off of here. No. Come sit over here and stop having fun. There's no time. There's no time. No, Betty. You fold and I'll put him away. Let's go. I do not want to look irresponsible. Nope, not gonna happen. We're just gonna tell them it's a closet. It's just a closet now, not a bathroom. It's just a closet. You know, companies coming that can produce some angst in the household because you gotta have things ready. You gotta get, you gotta get the bedrooms clean. You certainly gotta get the living room clean because people are gonna be hanging out in there. The kitchen's gotta be clean. At the very least, you gotta throw the dirty dishes in the dishwasher, right? Uh, you gotta. You got to make sure that all the kids are bathed and dressed properly. I mean, it's just so much to do to make sure that you're ready for, ki- or for, for company. Similarly, similarly, we, and when I say we, I want to say that the, the we today is, is the church. And, and when I say the church, I mean the capital C church. Now, the lower case C church, it would be any local church. So like North Haven is a church, uh, Redeemer is a church, but capital C church are all those all throughout the world who belong to the body of Christ. That is, those individuals who have made a decision to find and to follow Jesus, you are saved. When you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, when you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and is living today, and when you decide to follow him and make him the leader of your life. The Bible tells us that you are now a child of God. You are an heir to the kingdom. And thus, you belong to the body of Christ. And you are the capital C church. So how is the church, how is the church setting itself up for Jesus coming back? Because he's coming back. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is coming back. 
In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. So not only did he come the first time, uh, we celebrate that every Christmas, right? Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnate Jesus, where Jesus was born. So he came the first time, but the Bible tells us he's coming again. So how are we preparing ourselves for this? You know, we've been going through a series over the course of this month. Uh, it's, it's called, What Is That About? And it's, it's kind of poking fun at this idea or this thing that happens when we approach scripture, scripture sometimes, where we read a passage and we ask that question, either internally or out loud, what in the world is that about? Have you ever had a moment like that? I know I have. You come across a passage and you're like, yeah, it's, it's in the Bible, but uh, what is that about? First week, we looked at a passage in Mark where Jesus curses a fig tree. And I was put to shame when I found out how many people actually like fig newtons. I did not see that coming. And then the second week, we talked about uh, G- uh, Jacob and how he wrestled with God. And today we're going to look at a passage that is like many other passages in the Bible. It's Psalm 45. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 45. There's Bibles in front of you too. Um, and this psalm, you know, it's just, I mean, there's, there's nothing that, um, that would make it seem like it is extra special. It's maybe not a psalm that you would say is your favorite when you when you've uh, read uh, different psalms. But nonetheless, this psalm is representative of other times where we read Scripture and we ask the question, what is that about? And I hope, I hope that in the midst of this series, that for all of us that have been journeying through it and for those of you who are with us here today, I hope that this is um, inspiration as to how it is that we can approach Scripture. We shouldn't be afraid of this book. We shouldn't be afraid of it being too much for us to understand or to grasp uh, because we actually can come to understanding when we approach it in the way that we should. So we're going to read this psalm, Psalm 45, and then we're going to break it down and see then specifically how this passage applies to us. Because I guarantee when we read it, we're going to get done, you're going to think, I have no idea what that has to do with me, but it does, trust me. Psalm 45, my heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. And in your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. 
All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the strings makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of a fear. Listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. Forget your people and your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. The city of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will seek your favor. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments, she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her, those brought to be with her. Led in with joy and gladness, they enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the palace of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. What is this about? Well, there are two central characters in this passage. Two central characters that propel the message of this passage. The first is the king. That should come as no surprise. Now, this psalm is messianic. And what do I mean by that? I mean that it is about Jesus. It is about the coming Messiah, who is Jesus himself, the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth. He came to earth, and and he lived as a man. He was 100% God, 100% human. So this passage, this chapter, is all about Jesus Christ. And then the second main character is the royal bride. Now, who is the bride? Who is this individual? Well, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that capital C church. The capital C church being the body of Christ. All believers, all those who have made a decision to find and follow Jesus, we are the bride. So this passage is about Jesus and us. Now, in verse 1, right off the bat, there's this really cool moment where the author, he kind of shines a spotlight on himself for a moment, and he says, my heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. And the thing I want to point out about this verse is right off the bat, this is one of the very few occasions in all of Scripture that literally speaks to divine authorship. The, the author himself is saying that he is stirred by a noble theme and he's reciting. He's reciting the verses that are coming from the Father, from God. And then he's putting pen to paper. And this message, the message, this should catch our attention because the psalmist here, what is he, what is he saying? What is this message doing to him? It's stirring his heart. That that means that this is a message, somewhere in this passage lies a message that stirs hearts. So we should pay attention to that. Now in in verses 2 through 4, we see descriptions of the King, the Messiah, Jesus himself. As such, we should pay attention to this. In verse 2, it said that Jesus is the most excellent of men. That means that that he's set apart, he is transcendent, he is beyond description, he's beyond comparison. That means that he doesn't belong in a top ten list, Jesus is the list. 
But not only is he most excellent, not only is he transcendent, not only is he beyond comparison, but then further in verse 2, it says that lips, your lips, Jesus' lips, have been anointed with grace. So even though he's transcendent, even though he's beyond, he's also approachable because he's full of grace and he's full of mercy. He doesn't, he doesn't sit high and mighty, un, unapproachable, unattainable. No, he makes himself attainable. And then further, in verse 3, another description. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. So not only is he incomparable, he's transcendent, but yet approachable, full of grace and mercy, but he's also mighty. That means that nothing can overcome Jesus Christ. I mean, he is mighty and powerful beyond our ability to comprehend. And then further in verse 3, clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. So he's incomparable. He is transcendent, yet full of grace and mercy and approachable. He is powerful. Nothing can overcome him. And he is worthy of our praise and honor because he is full of splendor and majesty. And lastly, in verse 4, the cause, what is Jesus's cause? His cause is truth, humility, and justice. Meaning that this is what propels him. He's laid the foundation and perpetuates truth. He's laid the foundation and perpetuates humility. He's laid the foundation and perpetuates justice. He calls us to do the same. What does the word Christian mean? Anybody know? It means little Christs. It means means being someone who is like Jesus. So Jesus' cause and motivation being truth and humility and justice should be ours. In verses 6 through 7 then, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and you hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. There's a lot of words here, but there's something very particular I want you to hone in on. These verses right here speak to Christ's divinity. Meaning that Jesus was not just a good, good guy that did good things and died for a good cause. That he was much, much, much more than that. In verse 6, it says, Your throne, O God. So speaking of the king, Jesus. Referring to Jesus himself as God. But then what is something that, that Jesus says in his ministry? He says, I and the Father am one. Jesus himself puts puts himself on the same level as God the Father. That even though Jesus and God the Father are separate, that they are still yet one. These verses are testifying to that well before Jesus actually became human here on earth. Jesus, your throne, O God, will last forever. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions. Jesus and God the Father on same footing. It speaks to Jesus' divine authority. And then in verse 9, we see a shift. So not, not, 
now not the central character is Jesus. Now it's someone else. It is the royal bride. Daughters of kings are among you honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of a fear. This royal bride is a foreshadowing of the relationship between Jesus the king and his royal bride, the church, the body of Christ. All of those who are believers, all those who have given their life to Jesus Christ, we are the bride. And it speaks that we sit at the side of Jesus. That we have access to him in ways that we didn't before. And then in verse 10, it says, listen, daughter. When it says, listen, daughter, it's speaking to that royal bride. And if that royal bride is the church, then who is supposed to listen? Us, you. Listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. Forget your people and your father's house. Forget your people and your father's house. At the time that this was written, the culture at that time was much different than it is now when when you get married. You still continue relationships with your family, but back then, you, you had to forget your old way of life. You were now all about your, uh, your husband. And so what this is pointing to is how it is that we need to forget the old life and then pursue and embrace the new life that we have with Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. We need to forget the old life, the former way of living, and instead pursue righteousness by focusing on the new life that we have in Jesus. And then in verses 11 through 12, let the king, Jesus, be enthralled by your beauty, the beauty that the church has. Honor him, for he is your Lord. The city of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will seek your favor. So the bride, the church, us as believers, as children of the Almighty God, we are to not only recognize Jesus as king, but we are to honor him as well. And then in verses 13 through 15, all glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her. Those brought to be with her, led in with joy and gladness, they enter the palace of the king. What in the world? What is this saying? It's saying that similar to a bride and how she prepares uh, to present herself to the king, as one prepared and pure, the church needs to do the same. That anybody who professes to be a follower of Jesus, we are to present ourselves as prepared and pure to Jesus. In verses 16 through 17, it says, Your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever." And ever. So, what this is saying 
is that as the church, as the bride, as followers of Jesus Christ, as we prepare ourselves and we live lives of of preparedness and purity, that the world recognizes that. They see the light that lives within us, the light that comes from Jesus Christ, and it causes them to fix their eyes on Jesus. It causes the world to respond by going to the king. A number of years ago, when when my first child was was quite young, we were selling our first house. We'd never done that before. Now it's super easy. You just put it up on the internet and it's sold, right? Um, Back then, though, it was an arduous process. Lots of showings. And this was back in 2008. Not a good time to sell a house. And so every time that someone came to the house, we had to make sure that it was spot clean. Like it was just beautiful, spotless. Things were put away. You know, decorations were set up. We would actually, we actually bake cookies. This is a good, good thing for you to know if you want to sell a house. We would bake cookies and we would put them on a plate and put a card for everybody that came to the house just thanking them for coming. And plus the smell of cookies. Just like who, who can't buy a house if they walk in and smell cookies, right? But anyways, I remember one day we were sitting in the living room and our house was in shambles. We had a kid. It was, she was you know, two years old at the time. The toys were all over the place. You know, we were in our pajamas, uh, kitchen, just dishes all over the place. I mean, we living in the house. People live in houses. And all of a sudden, we hear the doorbell. And like a moment that I'll never forget, there was a click in my brain that reminded me that we have a showing that I forgot to tell my wife about. And so I run to the door, I open up the door, and I see the realtor and the couple that want to sell our house standing there in our front porch, and I, I say, God, one, one second, please. And I shut the door gently, and I turn to my wife, and, and the look on her face was priceless. And I said, um, <laughs> funny thing, um, we have a showing um, right now. Uh, forgot to tell you about that. And furiously, we try to clean up that house and, 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 and get the kid all ready and uh, clean up the dishes and put everything away. And then we get out of there so that they can come in and take a look at the house. We were not prepared. So that's my question uh, for me. In all honesty, Psalm 139, David says, Search me, O God, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. So for me, and for you, and for this church, are we prepared? Are we living lives of preparedness? Are we living our lives in anticipation of Jesus' return. In Matthew 24, verse 44, it says, So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. At the end of Jesus' ministry, when he ascends into the heavens, 
and the disciples are there. He's just told his disciples the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's given them this task, right? And then he begins to ascend into the heavens. And I could just imagine that moment as Jesus is ascending and he's, he's looking down and the disciples are getting smaller and smaller as he's, as he's going higher and higher. And all the while, the disciples are just looking up. They're looking up at Jesus as he's, as he's kind of floating away. And I could just imagine Jesus' mind as he's staring at the disciples, looking back at him. What are you doing? I just told you. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Don't stand there looking at me. Go and do the work that I called you to. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, it says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. When he got a bad comment on Facebook, he didn't strike back. When someone offended him, he didn't seek revenge. When someone disagreed with him, he didn't belittle them. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now, now, you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. We cannot live our lives as a church, as Christians, as those that believe in Jesus Christ, living our lives like this, just waiting for him to come back. We have to live our lives like this living our lives intentionally for the sake of the gospel so that others see Jesus in us. So the proverbial question, how can you and I be prepared for Jesus' second coming? How can we as a church be prepared for Jesus coming back? We do that by living like his first coming mattered. Let's pray. Father God, I, I just pray for your leading in our lives, Lord, and in this church. You have so much that you want to do through the lives of people here. And we can't just sit idly back. Lord, you, you call us to something greater. And we want this world to know that Jesus is the only hope, the only life, the only way everlasting. Lead us to live lives like your first coming mattered. To show the world that you are the Son of God. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. And after the service here, 
I'm going to be out in the commons and then join us for pizza with staff. If you haven't done that yet, love to meet you, spend that time with you. God bless.